This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put it on. He's up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Welcome to the Republic of Football. I am your host, Mike Craven, joined this week by our recruiting editor, Greg Powers. After a long day, not as long as it used to be, both of us were in the recruiting industry back when National Signing Day was a national holiday. It's a little bit of a different vibe this year. Powers, how you doing after the big day yesterday? Great, man. You know, I always look at National Signing Day as a holiday. You know, it's a big day for not only fans of, you know, college football, but it's a huge day for the people who are involved that help these recruits go through the process, you know, uh, whether it's their parents, their coaches, their teachers, their classmates, it's a big day for everybody involved. And I think sometimes people um, lose sight of that fact, how important it is for some of the student athletes that have a chance to be recruited and sign their name on the dotted line. So National Signing Day is kind of like a holiday for me. Absolutely. No doubt. It's fun seeing the faces and the pictures and all that kind of stuff. A lot of hard work. A lot of times since you're like five years old, you know, paying off finally. <laughs> so uh, a, a really cool day for everybody. Before we get going on our talk, we're going to talk about Texas, Texas A&M, the Big 12, G5 recruiting. We're going to cover the whole state. Uh, let's get this read out of the way. Special thanks to Hattie B's Hot Chicken and Deep Ellum uh, for powering our National Signing Day breakout shows. Their support of our brand helps us bring the best coverage of Texas high school football in the state. Visit them at 3000 Main Street or go to HattieB.com or call 469-425-8110 to place your order today. I am a hot chicken guy. I don't know. Are you a hot chicken guy, Powers? I Every time I've gone to Nashville, that's pretty much all I eat, even though I have Crohn's disease and my stomach hates it as much as I love it. You want to know the truth, Craven? I have yet to find a chicken I didn't like, and I really like Hattie B's. Before it came to... Uh, the Dallas area, we were able to go up to the OG location and have it there. It's it's excellent. So if you haven't tried it, I think it's uh, well worth a drive to get down there and uh, try a piece of that hot chicken. It'll change your life. It's it's something like you've never had before. It is really good. It is really good. All right, let's talk about, I'm going to put Texas and Texas A&M in the same group. I, I know the Longhorns are still in the Big 12, but we're going to treat this like, a, like an SEC class. Uh, Texas signed the third best class in the nation, obviously Arch Manning. Headlines the offensive side of the ball. Anthony Hill, linebacker from Denton Ryan, on the defensive side of the ball. Texas A&M checked in at 15th. You know, Ruben Owens, probably their headliner there at running back from El Campo. Uh, let's compare and contrast those, those classes real quick. Let's start with Texas. What impresses you most about what the Longhorns were able to do after year two under Steve Sarkeesian? Well, from top to bottom, I mean, it's just an excellent class. There's not really much to pick apart, whether you're counting, you know, even if you look at some of the transfer portal talent they, you know, signed within this class, A.D. Mitchell from Georgia, I think, is a guy who can come in and play right away and make the uh, – he's got speed, but he's also got some size, you know, on the outside, which I think is really important. And I love – I love Jalen Catalan, uh, yeah. safety, who, safety who was like one of the best players I ever covered in Texas high school football. A little undersized, I think, maybe hurt his – Ranking a little bit, but not in my eyes because he was one of the top rated guys in the entire state coming in from Arkansas. There was some talk uh, prior to the 2022 season that, well, I mean, not talk. I mean, he was projected in the first round on some of those early mock drafts. So Jalen Catalan coming over to help the defense is going to be huge. But just looking specifically at the high school recruits, I guess the thing that kind of really jumps out to me the most, e even just keeping it centered right here in Texas all of the guys they signed in Texas, except for two, are rated within the Texas top 100. You know, so it's an excellent class top to bottom. And um, I noticed that they went and found some key members of this class out of state, and they went for size, which I think is important in the SEC, which you might want to dive a little bit more into that and the transition in into the – to the new conference, but that really did jump out to me that it seems like they changed the way that they were doing things a little bit to, to add more beef on the offensive and defensive lines, especially. I know for a fact when Sark walked into that 
job for the first time and got in the locker room and got around the players. He was surprised at how small the University of Texas was in terms of just size on the offensive and defensive line. And they've done a great job over the last few recruiting classes of addressing that. You know, he has that quote about we want large humans, right? And they've gone and gotten a decent amount of large humans starting in the 2022 class. And we saw how instantly those guys paid off with Kelvin Banks, DJ Campbell, Cole Hudson. I think this class is similar. Uh, and it has a lot of skill position players. Like when I was a kid, my grandfather was the rehab specialist at Texas. And I got to go to a lot of those practices. And you would watch Roy Williams and B.J. Johnson and Slow Thomas go up against Aaron Ross and Michael Huff and Cedric Griffin. And it was as fun to watch practice as it was uh, the games. And I think Texas is getting back to that. You look at like Jonte Cook at wide receiver, Malik Muhammad at corner coming out of South Dallas. You know, those guys, that's going to be uh, you know, a must-watch battle for the next three, four years at practice. They're starting to get to where that depth is going to be really good. They're stacking class after class. You mentioned the transfer portal. It's hard to nitpick anything bad that's about this Texas class. Like, it's a pretty complete class that Sark signed. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, I love the fact that you touched on Jonte Cook and Malik Muhammad because it's important to recruit that uh, southern part of the DFW Metroplex, whether it's DeSoto, Lancaster, Oak Cliff, um, Red Oak. I mean, I think those are very important areas to uh, have a recruiting base at, right? And I think credit to the now departed Chris Gilbert in a little bit. I think that he was helping change that quite a bit while he was at Texas. Uh, but just, I mean, talent up and down the, this class because you got to talk about Cedric Baxter Jr. if you're going to talk about this class because if I were like to circle one guy who I think can come in and make an immediate roster impact it would be him the six foot one 215 pound running back from Edgewater Florida who's rated as the number one back in this class by the you know the 24 7 sports composite rankings and, and a guy who really impressed me at the Under Armour All-America game um I think that like that's a huge signing because they're going to need someone to re replace Bajon Robinson. It's not always great to hang your hat on a freshman and say, well, this guy, we need him to produce year one. They've got some other guys on that roster who are going to be good at running back. But Cedric Baxter, I think by the midpoint of the season, we could talk about him maybe taking over that backfield. Yeah, I'd like to get your thoughts on like where he'd rank. You know, maybe this is an unfair question on the fly here, but like where where would he where do you see him like if he was at a Texas like if you played at Belton, right? Like where would he have fallen in the Texas top 100? Well, it's a fun conversation because I've got to have it quite a bit. You know, whenever we said that Ruben Owens committed to Texas A&M, we called him the number one back because he was the number one back. And of course, the Facebook comments went nuts saying, oh, no, Texas A&M didn't sign the number one back. Texas is going to sign the number one back in Cedric Baxter. And I was like, well, yeah, but Texas A&M signing the number one back in Texas. Uh, I think it would be a really close battle. I see them as polar opposites. If I had to pick one over the other, it'd be really tough to choose, um, especially for me because I've covered Ruben Owens since he was a freshman over there at El Campo. So I, you know, I like what he does in the open field. I think that he has some of those special qualities that, other backs don't possess being able to make people miss at the second and third levels where Cedric Baxter can do that, but he's also a guy who can grind out tough yardage. So I think it's probably uh, beauty in the eye of the beholder, but they're both easily five-star guys and Cedric Baxter would be a top five, five-star if he was rated uh, within the Texas hot 100 at DCTF. You know, before we moved to Texas A&M, we talked about the size Texas is ad adding. Let's look at the four offensive linemen that, that they signed yesterday or in the early period. You know, Jaden Chapman, 300 pounds, Peyton Kirkland, 360, Connor Stroh, 345, Andre Coho, uh, 345. Like They're just big, big dudes, and I think that's going to work uh, really well in the SEC. Speaking of the SEC, Texas A&M signed the 15th best class uh, in the nation, according to 24-7 Sports. It was always going to drop, right? You're not going to sign back-to-back top-rated uh, classes if you're Texas A&M. You're not Alabama. You're not Georgia. You're not Ohio State. Uh, you're coming off a five-win season. You got a new offensive coordinator. Uh, but, you know, 15th is still pretty good. It's it's the top half of the SEC class. There's a lot of talent in there. We talked about Reuben Owens. Uh, do, if you're an A&M fan, Powers, do you, do you feel disappointed in this class? Or is this still a, a class that, like, you know, if it was bigger, it would have been ranked higher and we're good with, like, the players we got? You give me David Hicks and Reuben Owens, and I'm not <laughs> disappointed, right? <laughs> you know, that's how I feel about it. I think the guys that who – the fans who may be disappointed in what Texas A&M did on the recruiting trail may have set the bar too high for expectation. That's how I would say it. You know, anytime that you finish within the top 25, that's 
in recruiting, that's what you look at. When you cover it nationally, I had a chance to cover recruiting nationally for 15 years. When you're looking at the national picture, you want to place within the top 25 because that's going to give you the talent to compete for conference championships. And you're not going to compete for a national championship every year, really, no matter who you are. I mean, I know that Georgia fans and Alabama fans and Ohio State fans to some extent are going to have the expectation that they should compete every year for the national championship. And they do finish within the top five of the recruiting rankings on almost every year. But for the rest of the country, that's not the case. So A&M signed the number one class last year, backed it up with the top 15 class this year. I would argue it up a little bit looking at the, the rest of the picture. I think there are some guys on this list who are a little bit underranked. Um, Seriously, nationally, David Hicks at number seven to me in the composite, that's low. I think he's a top three player in in the country. That's how good I feel about him. And Ruben Owens, um, you know, a lot of people don't rank running backs that high anymore. Um, I think that they follow the the NFL draft parameters, you know, and there's not going to be a lot of guys who are drafted um, in that first round anymore at running back and everybody does their rankings a little bit differently 24 seven sports specifically they rank towards where you're where they project you to be drafted at by the NFL so they're inherently not going to rate running backs as high that's just the truth but Ruben Owens has a chance to be really special and I think that he's a guy who if I'm an A&M fan and, and I popped on a senior highlight tape, which you can find at texasfootball.com slash recruiting, um, if I popped on that senior highlight tape, I'd be like, this is a dude. You know, this is a guy that I'm going to be really, really uh, fired up to see. And up and down that list, there are guys who I feel like personally watching their tapes, breaking them down on film, these are football players. And to get back, to your roots and start to win games, you need football players. And I think that's what AM did a good job of this year. Let's talk about a guy that I, I know we're both really high on. That's Dalton Brooks out of Shiner. Kind of where do you see him? He's listed as an athlete at 24-7. When he kind of gets onto a college campus and is allowed to gravitate to maybe his best position, where do you think that will be eventually? I think he's a safety, and I like him there because of his length and his size, his ability to run. It's harder to find there. Um, it's, it, it's harder to look at his tape and say, yeah, he's definitely a safety because he does so much fun stuff on the offensive side of the football, right? Like he gets the ball in his hands and he's a gliding runner and he plays running back and receiver sometimes takes some snaps at wildcat quarterback when they need it. Uh, so he's a lot of fun to watch on the offensive side of the ball. But I think as he bulks up at right now, six, one, he's probably like six, one, one ninety when he's six, one, two Oh five, two ten he's hell on wheels on the defensive side of the ball. That's kind of how I see it. That's the spot that I like him at. Uh, to stay on the secondary, because I agree with you totally. I, I think Brooks is going to be a, a really so solid safety, maybe even a nickel uh, in certain positions yeah. or something like that, like an Antonio Johnson that they had there. Another guy I really like that I think is going to help them in the secondary, maybe sooner than we expect, is Bravian uh, Rogers from LaGrange. Like a really good player. LaGrange puts out a lot of good athletes. Do you see? Do you have a guy or two on that list that you think is going to overachieve based on on their rankings right now? Like, who are you high on, higher on than maybe the national guys were? Well, this might shock you. There are some. There are some definite guys on that list that I'm going to be remiss not to say. But I want to mention Tyler White, the kicker punter that they signed from South Lake Carroll. He's really good, you know. And I think it's really important to have good special teams. So I want to mention his name off the top because I think that he can be a guy that kind of makes the team better, right? So uh, that's one. I'm a huge Torian York fan. Yes, uh, yes. I, lo I love his game. Um, very intelligent, smart, fills quickly. Uh, he's bigger than people give him credit for because when he broke onto the scene at the varsity level, he was uh, five foot nine, five foot ten, inside linebacker playing as a freshman at Temple. But he's grown up. He's about 6'1 now, 6'1", 215, 220. He's a dude. Like, he is a dude. They're going to love him. Texas A&M fans are going to love him. And, you know, I, I kind of like a couple more guys, too, like Colton Thomason, big offensive lineman from down at Smithson Valley, 6'8", 325. And Damian Sanford, uh, you know, like an edge outside linebacker from Katie Pato. Those are a few of the sleepers that are uh, have caught my eye in this class. 
I'm with you on York. I remember going to Temple when Quentin Johnston and Jared Riley were there getting recruited by Texas and TCU and being like, who is that kid over there? He's going to be really good. Uh, It's fun to see him uh, develop. And then, you know, I I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention just earlier today, Aeneas Smith announced that he's coming back for Texas A&M wide receiver. They got Tywin Smith, the transfer from UTEP, who was UTEP's leading wide receiver. You add him with Evan Stewart, Moose Muhammad, Donovan Green at tight end. If Connor Wigman can be who we think he was when he was a recruit, that AM offense under Bobby Petrino is going to get really good really quick this next year. Yeah, no doubt. And I kind of like the quarterback that they signed out of Tennessee, too, to add some depth behind Wigman and Marcel Reed. He, uh, to me, jumped out because he has a quick trigger, um, very innovative at the quarterback position, and he plays fast. And that's something that you don't always see at the quarterback position. I don't think that he has the arm or the uh, arm upside as Wigman, but he's definitely a guy who can play. All right, let's move to what the new look Big 12 is. And let's stay with Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech right now. And we'll have our own conversation about Houston. Of those three teams, TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor, which of those three classes do you like the most and why? Uh, TCU, especially if we're talking about transfer portal talent put into the mix. You know, I actually rated TCU ahead of Texas A&M on the in-state rankings just kind of based off of what they did in the transfer transfer portal the guys that they're bringing in are going to change the team again right like tcu went to the national championship game this year um riding the wave of success of some of the players that were on the roster adding in some transfer portal guys at very uh big needs of position you know like hodges on the defensive side of the football and this next year is going to be no different i think that they have a chance to put together a really good team they recruited well at wide receiver in both. Um, you know, Jalen Robinson, John Paul Richardson, JoJo Earl. Those are guys I think from the transfer portal that can come in. But I love Cordell Russell from North Mesquite, six foot two, two hundred pound, four star wide receiver. Um, kind of does everything really well. But I think he could come in and step in and replace some of the deep ball threat that Quentin Johnston brought to the table. I I really like Cordell Russell a lot out of, out of North Mesquite. I also enjoy what they did on the defensive line. That 3-3 stack is a little bit different. You're trying to find kind of big bodies that can play 4-I, that can be a defensive end, defensive tackle type hybrid. I think Marcus Deal fits that perfectly at 6-4, 290 out of Garland. Avion Carter that they got out of West Texas, stole out of Joey McGuire's backyard there. I know that was a big recruiting win for them. Uh, So Joe Gillespie doing good stuff on the defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, My question, you know, as a guy who's covered this nationally for a long time, should we expect to see the bump from TCU this year, or was it will it really be the 2024 class when we kind of see the success of that run come to fruition? Because so many of the guys are locked up by the time the season starts that it's hard to kind of get that success right away from, from the run that they just had. Well, I think this is the best high school signing class that TCU's ever had. They're 19 in the composite. I think that's the highest in the internet era of recruiting. Yeah. So – I think the success at TCU isn't going to necessarily be from a national championship bump. I think that they already got their bump because Sonny Dykes and his staff there know how to recruit to the DFW area. They had a roadmap that was excellent at SMU. They transferred it over to TCU where it's a bigger school playing in a power five conference. And they're just following the same guidelines or parameters that they already established. Sonny Dykes, his crew there, they will get players. TCU will be a factor in the Big 12 every year as long as he's the coach. I think that they may be a borderline top 15 team going into this next year because they're going to be able to improve the recruiting staff with some of the money that they've brought in from that run. They're going to have a bigger staff. They're going to be able to compete that way. Uh, I, I think TCU is is poised to probably be uh, that new Big 12 power that comes out from just a talent standpoint, right? you got to see it on the field. But just from a talent standpoint, I think TCU is going to – kind of be a step above the rest when we start looking at rosters over the next three or four years. It it was like a sleeping, I feel like it was like a sleeping giant. I didn't know that we would see it in year one. Um, But coach Dykes, coach Jordan, who's very involved in the recruiting process. If you guys are listening to this, you don't have to change anything that you're doing. Uh, Maybe sprinkle in a couple of more highly rated guys because you can, but y'all are already doing it. Yeah. And Dykes has been a, a transfer portal savant since like Nick Foles at Arizona. Yeah. You know, like he, he's he been a, in front of this thing forever. 
He knows how to use that. He knows how to do secondary recruiting, right? Where you may not get them the first time, but you're going to get them the second time. We already mentioned Tommy Brockemeyer, JoJo Earl. Those are going to be instant impact dudes. Uh, Texas Tech signed the 26th best recruiting class. I think that's such a, a fantastic number because I looked at the five-year average and they're about 51 over the five-year average. So basically, wow. you know, 25 spots better than what they've been doing the last four or five years for, for Joey McGuire and co kind of what stands out to you for what they brought in from Lubbock this year. Defensive recruiting. Yeah. I know they said it when they got the job over there that they were going to recruit defense. They were going to play defense. It's easy to say. It's not easy to believe when you're talking about Texas tech, right? Like yeah, they all said it, it went right over my head. I didn't necessarily think, Oh yeah, well I, I believe it, you know, like whatever. That's how I felt about it. And they proved me wrong for sure because the top guys in this class are all defensive players or five out of the top six highest rated guys are defensive players. You know, in the defensive backfield, you have guys like Jordan Sanford and Brendan Jordan, who are both from the Mansfield area. I really like both of those grabs, both top 100 guys uh, in the state. You know, looking throughout the list, I really thought that they reloaded on the defensive line. Jaden Cofield, Braylon Rigsby, uh, Isaiah Crawford, Ansel Nadori from down in Round Rock, who I love. I actually, you'll love this name, Craven. He kind of reminds me of Solomon Thomas no. a little bit on tape. Yeah, he even wears 90. So, I mean, I don't know if that's what really pulled me in on that, but kind of reminds me of uh, Solomon Thomas and Amir Washington. So they really hit the reset button on the defensive front. I don't know much about the kid that came in from Louisiana, but they added like five or six defensive linemen in this class. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Isaiah Crawford and his his potential? I think he's one of the higher potential guys in this in this class that they signed. No doubt. And I really feel cheated that we didn't get to see him play in his senior season. He was recovering from an injury. We had yeah. him rated at, at number – I think we've had him rated like right around 48 to 50 in the state the entire run. And I just didn't feel like that should change based on the fact that he was injured. I think he's a definite four star. I don't know exactly what his fit is in the Texas tech defense. I just know that it's going to be somewhere six foot four, 210 pounds. He's uh really good off the edge. He's really fast for a six foot four player with, you know, bona fide track times and that kind of stuff. So he has the measurables or the verified measurables to back up what you see on tape, and I think that his ceiling is really high. There's sometimes a transition period coming from small school like post into college, and he didn't play his senior year. So I would like curb those expectations maybe a little bit to get him into the program, get him accustomed to the speed of the game, and then see where he's at after that. But he's definitely a dude who can play. What I love about Tim DeRuiter as a defensive coordinator is he finds a, a way to use guys just to their strength. He doesn't put guys in bad uh, positions, I would imagine that Crawford, if healthy, you know, finds a role somewhere, maybe not an every down guy right away. Cause as you said, you know, there's going to be a transition, especially coming off an injury, uh, but he's somebody who can help with the pass rush. And that, that's what they're going to need. Cause they're going to have to replace the uh, production from Tyree Wilson uh, moving over to Baylor. Is there any concern with the bears in terms of their top end talent, right? Like you do this more than I do, but you look at this list and, you know, their their highest rated player that they're, they've signed or enrolled so far isn't in the top 250 nationally. They lost Austin Novosad, the quarterback from Dripping Springs late uh, to Oregon. Uh, if you're a Bears fan, how do you feel about this recruiting class? Well, that top rated player is Isaiah Robinson from Arlington Lamar. If you pull up the in-state offensive tackle rankings from this year, he's the number one guy and there's no depth. It, it was a class at offensive tackle where there just wasn't depth. So to get the number one guy at that position, I think was really important. Uh, and they do really good with offensive linemen. They do really good developing offensive linemen. And Isaiah at six foot seven, 290 pounds has an abnormally big wingspan and upside. So I really can't wait to see how he develops at Waco and see what type of player he is two or three years down the road. I think that he has a true NFL upside one day. But just looking at it specific, specifically from a top-end talent standpoint, the loss in Novosad was huge, but I don't think he was like a guy that comes in right away and plays. I think he's a redshirt guy, even at or like wherever he would have went. He he need he's 185 pounds. He needed to add some, you know, size to his frame. I really like him as a player, no doubt about it. He's a number 20 guy in our DCTF Hot 100, so really highly rated. But it's not like you've lost someone 
that was going to make next year's team markedly better. I think the addition of Sawyer Robertson might be even a better fit for them because he's already kind of produced, right? He was a four-star guy coming out of high school at Lubbock Coronado and has had the chance to learn from Mike Leach at Mississippi State uh, while he was there, you know? So I think that he's going to bring some experience and make the quarterback room better on day one. Novosad would have done that, but I think that uh, Sawyer Robertson might be a better fit. It's hard. It's hard. I get mush mouth. I'll be honest, Craven. I get mush mouth about Baylor. Um, Because like you said, they don't sign a ton of these top end guys, but I look at this list and it's hard for me to like draw a line of demarcation or pick out certain names on it because they're all pretty good. So that's what happens when I start to get on this Baylor tangent of trying to break down their class or what did they do right and what did they do wrong? Well, what they did right is they're bringing in 30 new faces. They're going to overhaul their (laughs) roster. And what they did wrong is maybe kind of like what you said. They missed out on some of the the upper-end guys, but I don't think they recruit that way. I mean, I don't think that was their ever their plan. So I don't, it's hard for me to encapsulate exactly how I feel about it, except for a lot of their players know how to play football and they're good at it. Yeah. I think that's what Dave ran and Jeff Grimes. Those guys are looking for just football playing dudes that, that don't have a, you know, don't need a lot of attention. Don't need a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, Just that's his personality. And what I always wonder about Dave Aranda and Baylor is like how that plays in a recruits home, right? Like if you have three in-house visits lined up and one's Joey McGuire, one's Sonny Dykes and one's Dave Aranda, it's going to take a different cat to choose Dave Aranda. I'm one of those different cats. Like I love the way Dave Aranda is. I'm into philosophy. I I love stoicism, all that kind of stuff. But how does that play with a 17 year old? Like I have no idea. And that's going to be interesting uh, to watch moving forward. You know, they had that big 2021 season where they won 12 games and won the big 12 and won the sugar bowl, but he's been there for three years now. And two of them have been losing records. And so uh, what Baylor is around an emerging Texas tech around a TCU program that just went to a national title game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where they kind of fall in the pecking order of recruiting. Cause in my opinion, recruiting always provides me with what the perception is of that college to kids, right? Like that tells you what they think is happening at that university. When Tom Herman was at Texas, we could tell that things weren't going very well because the recruits started to fall off and started to go different places, even though they were winning some football games. And so uh, with Baylor, it's another interesting thing to watch because you know, Aranda's just a different kind of dude. He's just a different kind of coach, and it's going to take a different kind of player uh, to really gravitate towards that. But if I'm an offensive lineman, that's where I'm going because there's nobody better in the state than <laughs> Eric Mateos. He is ac- excellent as an offensive line coach. Well, then uh, you got G- Grimes there as yeah. your offensive coordinator too, right. right? Like I think he could teach you a thing or two about playing the offensive line. It looks like he could still go out there, put it on, and get it going, you know? So I agree. I, I'll say one thing more about Baylor before we move on, Craven. I, I'm pretty surprised that I've, I've been out in the streets talking to a lot of top recruits in the 2020, 2024 and 2025 classes, and Baylor's one of these schools that everybody has on their list. And the person over player thing that they pitch there gets them on the list. I don't know that it gets them some of these top guys when you're going in against um, major NIL deals or, um, you know, marquee programs where you can get in the na- more in the national spotlight. To me, Baylor's like one of these schools that looks for this type of player that we just talked about because that's the type of school that they are. They're, they're a little bit overlooked from the, a national perception, but they have a chance to play for it all. You know, yeah. it's kind of like TCU kind of put their foot forward on that this year. I think Baylor could do that same thing, but it's going to have to take time and they're going to have to get their type of players in there that fit with Dave Aranda, just like what you said. I just don't think that it's time to hit the panic button. I think Dave Aranda is one of those guys that you build a program around for the long term. That's how I see it, I guess. No, I, I agree 100%. I agree. And Matt Rule, Joey McGuire did the same thing there, right? It's not like Jalen Petrie was this highly sought after five-star can't miss guy. Same right. with Terrell Bernard, same with JT Woods. Some of recruiting, if you're not Alabama, Texas, Georgia, Ohio State, is finding your guys. It's about fit, not about just overall upside. Um, and so if Baylor's finding guys that they feel fit in those schemes, then you know they're doing a great job. Uh, before you're not going to get a Baylor, you're not going to get a Baylor bump, Craven. You're not going to get a Baylor bump when you commit there. Like there's not enough power right. behind it on the, 
Like there's not enough subscription value at some of these major services to get your Baylor recruiting bump if you pull the trigger and commit to Baylor like there is at some other places. That's just the honest truth about it. Powers, are you saying that some commits at some schools get bumps based on the certainly, amount of I don't attention? Think it's, certainly, I don't think it's a secret. No, it's um, not. It's only on those subs, subscriptions keep everybody paid, right? Yeah, yeah. Only on those specific websites do they try to d- deny that 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 happens. Um, before we move to G5, we got one more Power 5 team to discuss. They're kind of in limbo right now. We're going to claim them as Power 5 because they join uh, the Big 12 officially in June. The Houston Cougars, let me let me give you some stats real quick. Their 2019 class ranked 20, 73rd nationally, 2020, 72nd nationally, 2021, 85th nationally. Then the Big 12 news happened. The 2022 class ranked 55th. The 2023 class ranked 56th. And so while they're not on that top echelon pushing to a top 25 class, it is clear that the move to the Big 12 is allowing them uh, to sign a few more players than maybe they wouldn't have previously. Matthew Golden was one of those dudes in the 2022 class that was pretty open about if Houston wasn't in the Big 12, he was going to go somewhere else. And so who are some of those guys in this Houston class this year that kind of strike you as dudes that they may have not been able to get in the past, if not for moving towards a Power 5 conference? Well, I'm going to keep it with two four-star wide receivers. Mikel Harrison, pilot at Temple, yeah. picked Houston over um, Texas, TCU, Cal, um, Oklahoma. I think that was his top five. And Jonah Wilson, one-time Texas commit who flipped his commitment to Houston, um, both over six foot, around 190, 195 pounds, bring kind of different skill sets to the table. Mikel Harrison, pilot's like a really refined route runner, worked really hard to perfect his craft because at one time he was a quarterback safety at Temple and really just kind of transition into what I think is as a, a technique sound type of player at the wide receiver position. And then Jonah Wilson is one of these stretch the field vertically type of guys who just has the natural it factor, right? I, I really like what they're bringing to the table. High school recruiting specifically, I feel like they did a good job at what I would consider the skill positions on both sides of the ball, wide receiver, and then in the defensive secondary. I think that they really did a good job with guys like Michael Patterson and Jamal Shaw. Um, Parker Jenkins is probably a name Houston fans want to get familiar with pretty quickly. Um, To me, he's the guy that Dana Holgerson has had success no matter where he's been. Five foot 10, 185 pound running back. He's probably going to bulk up to, you know, 195, 200 pounds, uh, super quick in and out of his cuts, catches the ball well out of the backfield. He's going to be an offensive force, I think, in Holgerson's offense. I mean, Holgerson, for those people who don't know, he was an inside receiver himself. He made his bones early in his career as an inside wide receiver coach in the air raid. He's always Nathaniel Dell, Tank Dell there last year with huge numbers. Um, They're always going to be good in the slot. I agree with you. Um, Their wide receiver core. Uh, it's going to be pretty good for the next few years when you add Matthew Golden to Jonah Wilson and those guys, Mikel Pilot. Um, I also like what they did in the transfer portal. I think Houston has to do kind of what Sonny Dykes mapped out at SMU and TCU, where you got to get those guys the second time. Maybe, you know, when they're four or five star guys coming out of those Houston schools, they're going to go to the quote unquote national programs. But when they're not getting the playing time or they're not happy or they want to come home, you need to be the safe, soft landing spot for them for Houston. I think they're on their way to doing that more and more. Uh, they got 13 transfers right now. A lot of those guys, Texas dudes originally. And so, you know, I think they're doing it the right way. But I, I know this isn't the football recruiting or the football podcast, but I am just super interested to see what Houston is going into the Big 12 next year because it feels like this is a make or break year for Dana Holgerson. Houston hired them hired him to get them ready for this transition, knowing that it was coming, they have to be ready for it or that hire backfired. And so I think there's going to be a lot of heat, a lot of eyes on what Holgerson and that group can do this year. Yeah. And I think they're going to have an easier time generally recruiting offensive talent, right. And maybe look to the transfer portal for some, for some defensive guys to round it all out. And you can't look at it this year and say, that's exactly what they did because it's kind of split evenly but they need the guys that are transferring in on the defensive side of the ball to not be misses. Jalen Hunt on the defensive front has to be a guy who can play. David Aguobo from Oklahoma has to be a guy who steps right in and provides depth. And Brandon Mack, you know, all these guys that are on this list, they have to be contributors that contribute early. And as sleeper for me, I I don't know why I, I keep gravitating back to Josh Cobbs, the six foot four, 200 pound plus receiver that transferred from Wyoming. Why do I feel good about him so much? 
<laughs> I think the the biggest impact transfer that they're bringing in is Donovan Smith, and and maybe not because uh, of his talent level, but because of his importance. He's going to have to replace Clayton Tune. He's going to be that starting quarterback. Houston saw him up close and personal when Houston lost in overtime to Texas Tech. Yeah, uh, and so Donovan Smith having to write that or having to steer the ship is going to be an interesting thing uh, uh, for Houston this year. Jalen Garth has some upside at offensive line, so. Uh, they're doing some things there. Ish Harris, I, I was really good coming out of high school. I was pretty high on him uh, as a linebacker who went to AM. And so, uh, as you mentioned, you know, those those portal guys, those transfer guys are going to have to hit and they're going to have to hit right away or things could get weird in third ward. Let's move to the G5 level and let's start at the top. If I give you the choice to bring in SMU or UTSA's recruiting class, which one are you picking? Oh, if we're talking transfers, then I'm taking SMU. If we're just talking high school, I'm taking UTSA. So can is yeah. that is that fair? I mean, is that yeah. fair? Or do I have to just I, pick one? I hate the I hate to pick two thing personally, but if I'm taking everything, I'm taking SMU. But if I'm taking just prep guys, I'm I'm taking UTSA. Yeah, I'm with you there. And, and it's been impressive to watch Rhett Lashley just kind of follow the model that Sonny Dykes had, right? Like a lot of these coaches come into jobs and they try to do it their own way and build it down from scratch and start it over. And we're going to we're going to do it the way we want to do it. Rhett was on that staff. He was the offensive coordinator for a couple of years under Sonny. And he, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And they have done excellent in the transfer portal, just like TCU. I think that's the advantage uh, of D- being a DFW program. Uh, but what and, and also with their NIL stuff, I mean, they're giving guys thirty six thousand five hundred dollars a year. Right. You know, and that helps a lot in the transfer portal and recruiting as well. But what UTSA is doing and I know that I'm Mr. Roadrunner and I'm a grad and all that kind of stuff. But what UTSA is doing without a huge recruiting staff, they do not have 10 dudes, 10 people behind the scenes as their recruiting coordinator and they're on campus, this, and they're, they're scouting person that they don't have that at UTSA. And they still just signed the best G five recruiting class in the nation. What trailer and that group, Joe price and those guys really do in San Antonio. Uh, they do more with less, maybe better than anybody else in the state, maybe better than anybody else in this country. I'll give you a little history on Jeff trailer. Um, Jeff trailer was at, the University of Texas. It was his first year there. I can't remember exactly what his job title was. I, he may have been the running backs coach. I think it was tight, the tight end and special tight ends. teams. Yeah, yeah, tight end special teams. Uh, when he was hired, Texas instantly changed the way they were perceived in Texas high schools. Instantly. Um, f- f- like flat, fast forward 10, 12 months. I was working uh, with scout.com at that time. And and it was my responsibility to name um, a recruiter of the year in the big 12 conference. And I went to bed the night before national signing day. And I thought, you know what? Um, Tomorrow, if Texas lands, Brandon Jones from NAC, who I felt like trailer was responsible for largely, then, you know, Jeff trailer is the big 12 recruiter of the year. Uh, if they don't land him, I'm going to give it to Kendall Bryles because what he's done at Baylor has, you know, like Baylor was recruiting at a different level at that time. All, you know, everything was really great in Waco and they were landing some big time dudes and, and Kendall had done a really good job that year. Next morning, trailer is in Texas lands, Brandon Jones. And I, I gave that award to trailer in that first year because single-handedly he has the trust of the texas high school football community and throughout all these years no matter where he stopped at where he's coached at that's never changed and i think that's exactly what you see at utsa and the kids feel it the kids understand that if they go to utsa what Jeff Trailer has pitched them on the recruiting trail is the truth. He's telling them the truth about their strengths. He's telling them the truth about their weaknesses. And he's communicating that effectively to the coaching staff. And that's passed down from the top to all the assistants at UTSA. And I think that's, you know, at the essence, at the core of it, why they have so much success recruiting Texas high school football talent. When I was doing the cover story, I talked to John King at Longview, who's one of the best interviews in the state, you know, was the president of the THSCA at the time. And I asked him, why does Jeff Trailer and Joey McGuire get so much rope? And he said, you know, I'm never going to tell a kid where to go 
or why to go there. But I can tell them those two aren't lying to you because if they do, they're never walking back into this room and we're <laughs> their friends and they got to walk back into this room, right? And I think you're absolutely right. Here's another stat about Jeff Trailer. Until this year, UTSA had not lost a player in the transfer portal that signed another FBS scholarship, right? They were, wow. they, People do not leave UTSA, and they're they're winning back-to-back conference championships. You don't see Frank Harris transferring to Ole Miss or Zachary Franklin going anywhere, Joshua Cephas or Rashad Wisdom. Uh, People like to play for Trailer. People like to be around him. I think he could be the governor of the state one day if he wanted to. He has that Mac Brown in him. I know they're different people in a lot of ways, but just like the way that they can work a room and the way people trust them uh, is just outstanding. And they've just gotten better and better every single year. 95 in, in 2019, 90th in 2020, 82nd in 2021, 73rd last year, 59th this year. They just get better and better on the recruiting trail. The success helps them. And, uh, you know, that's that's with a lot of dudes left. They have the most super seniors left of anybody in the state in terms of COVID guys. Because not only do people not leave transfer portal, it doesn't seem like people want to leave just with eligibility, right? They have a lot of guys still using those COVID years. It'll be see, it'll be interesting to see what UTSA can be in the new American. No matter what the future holds there at UTSA for Jeff Trailer, I hope that UTSA fans kind of understand the way things have changed for the positive for that program that's going to it's going to be in perpetuity, right? Like it's a different program. Now I can remember watching that first press conference when he was hired and just like looking at the room, right? Like what type of room were they doing the press conference in and, you know, things are changing there and it's the football program is helping change that, but everything is getting better at UTSA and that's going to help them markedly as they transition into the future, no matter if Jeff trailer is a coach there or if something else happens, uh, UTSA is in a better spot. Believe me, I will never let them forget it. If they, if if our fan base tries to forget it, I will be on Twitter screaming at everybody for being spoiled babies <laughs> because we uh, we do not deserve what the success we are having at UTSA. Like, if you look at like how much money we spend compared to every, like, there's just no reason that UTSA should be where it's been the last couple of years, and that's paying off on the recruiting trail as well. Looking at, we had two new head coaches come into the state this year. Uh, Texas State hires GJ Kinney. Um, who was the incarnate word head coach who, you know, automatically did a hashtag take back Texas and, and trying to, to get back onto to the recruiting streets there in the high school level. And then we had Eric Morris come in, former Texas Tech wide receiver. He was also at incarnate word uh, for four years as a head coach, the offensive coordinator at Washington State uh, most recently. You know, Kenny had a couple more weeks uh, to work uh, on this recruiting staff or on this recruiting class. Uh, than Morris in North Texas. But just when you look at the two next to each other, which new staff do you think did a better job of using their time and adding some players uh, that they're going to enjoy the next couple of years? Well, I mean, Texas State's bringing in 33 guys. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that this is not – I mean, I don't expect Texas State to resemble anything that Texas State was in 2022 and 2023. Like, it's going to be a completely, a completely different team. I love the uh, take back Texas thing that they they did because I think that they realized a problem that Texas State had under the previous regime and came up with a way to attack how to fix it, right? And they backed it up. Like I look at this list and all these guys that are either coming in or that they're recruiting, they're all from Texas. So now that you, you instantly, you know, Kenny's a Texas guy, you're going to be able to walk into these high schools and and talk to these transfers who are thinking about coming back home and say, look, come take back Texas with us. You know, we want to do this. San Marcos is a fun place to be. I don't know if a lot of people understand that, you know, like San Marcos is a cool college to go to. It's a fun place to be. People like it there. Um, They got Herbert's taco shop down the street. You know, there's like a lot of cool places to go because you're kind of in between Austin, you're in between San Antonio. It's just like a cool area. And I think that they're going to be able to take advantage of that. I do think North Texas closed really strong and it may be to your point, like they had less time to do it, but they closed with a couple of really big commitments. You know, they went down to North Shore and got Javen Anderson. You know, North Shore is one of those top programs in the state. And they went to South Oak Cliff and, and was able to beat UTSA and Texas State out for safety, safety Taylor Starling, who was actually, you know, a one-time Colorado commitment before Dion got that job and kind of like cut bait with all the guys who were on that commitment list. Uh, so he was a P5 evaluated type of talent. And I think that that was big for North Texas heading down the stretch. They 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 really turned it up, like from a graphics and you know social media perspective uh, for recruiting. And I think that that's important too. 
uh, we'll just see how it moves forward from here. This is a this is a unique class. You know, I read your piece about the the co extra COVID year and having some. There's some extra players floating around out there this year that make these rosters at some of these G5 schools better. They're yeah. guys who could play at higher or better schools in a normal year. And I'll, I'll be interested to see how that not only affects, you know, roster management and stuff going forward, maybe even the transfer portal in a couple of years from now, but how does that change college football in general? I think an important note when we're talking about North Texas versus Texas state is like what each coach had to inherit, right? And Texas state had to turn over the roster. They had so many guys in the transfer portal. So many times guys leave the program and they've been so bad that they need to get better and better. Eric Morris inherited a roster that just played for a conference championship. That's gone to six bowl games in the last seven years. I don't think they had as many spots to fill. I don't think they had uh, as much roster to turn over. Um, and so I, I think they were a little bit more cautious in their approach. They didn't want to assign guys just to sign them. But I do think that 2024 class with the money that North Texas has with the recruiting staff that they put together, guys like Josh Kirkland, I know Chris Gilbert's a position coach now, uh, but you know, he was the director of high school relations at, at Texas for a couple of years, well-known in the DFW area. I mean, all, across the state, honestly, I, I followed him at coaching school uh, last year. And he was like, you were, I was walking down the hall with Chris Gilbert, Steve Sarkeesian and Brandon, Brendan Marion. And you wouldn't know the other three were there, right? Me, Marion and Sark uh, were secondary figures. Uh, Chris Gilbert w was the star of the show. I think in 2024, North Texas has the opportunity uh, to sign one of the best G5 classes in the nation. If the on-field product, uh, looks pretty good. Um, it's a good we... step in the right direction, Craven, too, because when I look at that list, I know all the guys on it. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like that didn't used to be the it's not always been the case there. But I look yeah. at that list and like everybody I know. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> that's, that's a great point. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to talk about Rice's recruiting staff or recruiting class. Uh, on paper, maybe not knocking anybody over, right? 80th in the nation, you know, maybe people kind of pass that. But they signed the 120th best recruiting class last year. They they improved 40 spots wow. in a year. They signed the 94th best one in, in 2021, the 97th best one in 2020, the 111th best one in, in 2019. So this is a just a different kind of recruiting class uh, there. And to me, it's a direct result of Mike Bloomgren putting in more money, hiring guys like Marco Regalado that we know out of the state, and people like that to like boost their recruit. It it showed itself right away. It, sometimes you don't always get the return on the investment. The ROI is not there. At least it's not right away. But this one is a, we're going to invest in our recruiting because we finished 120th last year. And we're going to see if we get any better at it. And they signed a pretty good class that if they were staying in Conference USA, the only one that would have been better than them is UTSA. Yeah, I, I really like what they've done. I, you know what? I've been a big fan of what they've done since Bloomgren's been there. I would counterpoint to, you know, they jumped up 40 spots if they were maybe rated a little bit too low in the years prior, but credit to them for the work that they put in this class. They deserve, you know, a pat on the back for jumping up that much. And a couple of guys on this list right from the Houston area that I, I really, really like are Ty Morris from Decaney. He's listed as a linebacker on 247. I kind of like him as like a hybrid safety type of guy who can come and stick his nose in the box. Out of all the – you know, I was watching tape on 2024 recruits last night trying to come up with, you know, we got to cement our top 50 and name the first four stars and do all this stuff. And Ty was one of these guys who I've watched again, you know, leading up to National Signing Day prep. His range is as good as anybody's that you'll watch. Like he – he can fly to the football. And I always use Caden Stearns as a guy I think you might be familiar with, Craven, you know, that played at Texas, went on to the NFL. He was a five-star guy. Caden had tremendous range. And I'm always looking for a safety that, or, you know, an outside linebacker type that can patrol the field like him. Like that's like my that's what I that's my marker now. I'm looking for somebody that ha can be better than Caden Stearns, which it never happens, but um <laughs> Ty Morris is right there, you know, with some of those top guys. He covers a lot of ground quickly. I really like I really like him on tape and think that he can be a great defensive player there. And then Ashton Ojiaku from Richmond Foster. He was their best offensive player on a pretty good team. He was their running back, and he he's probably going to project more as a safety as he trans transitions to college. I love guys that are offensive stars that are transitioning to 
defense in today's college game because they have a higher level of athleticism and they're used to being like in important situations, right? I want a guy that is used to having the football in his hands, but can also hit and let's move him to defense and see what he does in college. Those are a couple of names that kind of jump out to me, but don't sleep on Chase Jenkins. He's one of our top 10 quarterbacks. He's just a little, he's listed at six foot one eighty five. might be closer to five eleven, but he is an electric dude. I don't know if he'll stick at quarterback, but somewhere uh, he'll get on the field. He's, he's pretty special. He's from a leaf Taylor. And then Sam Houston State, their first to kind of FBS class, right? You know, they they are moving up this year. They're going to be uh, members of Conference USA. Them and UTEP will be the in-state schools uh, there. Lonnie Adscombe uh, from from Corpus Christi Miller, a really good player. Uh, Jamari Wiggins uh, from Waco Conley, a, another one of those guys. Caden Kelly uh, from Denton Ryan. Did you see a bump? Did you see any improvement from Sam Houston and their ability to kind of move up? you know, a level or, or is this kind of what they've been recruiting the last couple of years? I don't think that you can compare what they did this year to any other year. You know, Sam Houston does a pretty good job in recruiting, but this class is special. We did a piece yesterday, Mike, where we rated one through 12, the top schools, right. in recruiting. I, I don't think that it's inherently fair. I think that UTSA was eighth, right. Yeah. Well, that doesn't put proper perspective on it. And um, Sam was 12th, but I don't think that it frames it up in exactly the right way because what they did in recruiting was way better than that, the perception of what that is going to be. Jamari Wiggins from Waco Conley, I think that he had P5 schools on his list, right? Zachary Session, a six foot four, two hundred ninety pound offensive lineman from Morton Ranch and Katie, has all the tools that you're looking for to be an NFL guy. Great wingspan, tremendous feet. He has the uh, power in his lower base um, that's rare. I can't believe that Zach Session kind of slipped through the cracks, so to speak. But Sam was right there to to stay on him the entire time. And I talked to a lot of these guys and they are buying into what the Bearcats are doing. You know, they believe that they're going to be winners there. And that's very important to convey that message on the recruiting trail, because a lot of these guys are coming from programs where they're used to winning. You know, if you're getting a Denton Ryan kid, that kid's used to winning. He wants to go somewhere where he's going to be at the top, not at the bottom. And they're able to effectively convey uh, that message to recruits and, and they're buying in. Yeah, I mean, KC Keeler, the head coach there, has won everywhere he's ever been. Uh, this will be the first time he's coaching FBS football, too. So uh, a big transition for the Bearcats there. Uh, but Conference USA is pretty winnable. You know, it's it's a lot of former uh, FCS schools. They're going to be around programs that, you know, they shared the field with, you know, five, 10 years ago. Uh, Liberty is probably the outlier there just because they have money. I think everybody else uh, is pretty much on the same boat. Uh, before we close it out, you know, we got 13 FBS schools in the state, UTEP. Uh, being the last one to discuss. I've always found UTEP to be the biggest outlier in the state, not only because of location, they're out in El Paso, they're in, you know, mountain time zone, all that kind of stuff. Um, but also because Dana Dimble's a Bill Snyder guy. He believes in JUCO. And even with the transfer portal, he has stuck with the JUCO level. And it's just impossible, in my opinion, uh, to really grade what they do at UTEP against what everybody else in the state does, because they're just, it, like I said, they're just an outlier. Yeah, and it's you know I I had the fortune or misfortune I don't know how to explain it, but I rated JUCO players nationally for like four years, and Kansas State was in my you know in my territory so to speak, hmm. and I used to watch you know tons and tons of JUCO tape. I didn't go down this list and, and watch every single guy you know, that UTEP's bringing in from some of these JUCO programs. But there are some names that kind of stuck out to me too because I covered them in high school or, you know, but they, they're they guys who I think that can come in and and be instant impact type of guys. But the thing that kind of grabbed my attention was down the stretch, they landed some really solid high school players as well, something that they hadn't been doing in recent years so much, right? Like they got big Jake Utley from college station, a legit six foot five, 315 pound monster. They got Ezel Jolly from Fort Bend Ridge point. I mean, Ezel Jolly is a P five level talent. Make no mistake about it. 
this is a guy that can play. And UTEP was right there, uh, you know, at the 11th hour to be able to take a commitment from him, had an opportunity, and he was looking for one. And those guys that come in hungry are uh, maybe guys that you should keep a closer eye on. We know that UTEP can produce talent at running back. And I love Tyrone McDuffie. You know, he's an offensive lineman from El Paso, Parkland. You know, they keep a kid at home um, that had a call. He was a one-time Colorado commitment. You know, that's not, that's rare air to me for UTEP and Dana Dimmel in, you know, the last three or four years before this. And I'll give you one more name, a guy who really, to me, jumped up the list quite a bit with a strong senior season is the quarterback, Seth Mouser from Bastrop. Uh, really had a good year, has a high upside. A guy that's six foot five, 200 right now. Just think of what he could be if he's six foot five, 230. You know, so that's something to to watch closely. Keep an eye on his development in that UTEP program and see if he can turn into one day a player that, you know, maybe the nation's talking about a bit more. Yeah, when I put together that COVID piece, and there's still about a hundred guys on the 12. If you took you look at the 12, you know, FBS programs that are there, if we take out Sam Houston because they're they're moving up, there's still about a hundred guys on rosters across the state who wouldn't be out of eligibility if not for the the COVID year, right? And that's yep. created this logjam that where there's about 60 to 70 fewer high school players signed this year by those FBS programs in the state than there was in 2019 before the COVID year. The teams that are benefiting from that are these G5 teams and some of the, the uh, FCS teams like Sam Houston, Abilene Christian, who are getting to sign these players who five years ago would have been gobbled up by bigger schools and signed, but there's just not the room on the roster to get all of those guys like the, the jolly and stuff like that. Like those guys are falling through the cracks because there just aren't scholarship available right. scholarships available at the higher level. And it, it's been, you know, to the advantage of UTEP, to the advantage of Sam Houston, to the advantage of UTSA, uh, those programs are, are getting players, Texas state, uh, North Texas coaches talked to me about how, there was guys that they could go recruit that they just figured were already signed and sealed other places. Uh, but because of scholarship restraints across the country, uh, they're still out there. It'll be interesting to see kind of how that evens out, how that plays out over the next three or four cycles. Well, even will there be a resurgence in junior college recruiting, right? There's not a lot of schools that do it anymore. UTEP is like one of the top schools that recruits junior college talent nationally. And that's because junior college talent has been somewhat ignored now because of the transfer portal but these guys who aren't signing have to go somewhere and will the juco ranks be bolstered once again now that you know there are these issues you had two years like you said there's 60 guys who would have signed this year probably 80 to 100 last year well my math tells me that's 140 pretty good texas high school football players alone that are playing somewhere right they're either going to transfer or find their way to the top of these depth charts if they're good and i looked at California, you know, back in the day, you know, five to seven years ago, you wouldn't look at the California top 100 and there'd be guys who weren't going anywhere, right? Not going anywhere. Yeah. Now there are guys in California in the top 100 who are not even signing with any programs at all. And to me, that's, I mean, it's insane because that's a very talented state, but it's happening all over the country. Yeah. And I think that's why we see incarnate word getting better. Why we see, Abilene Christian getting better, Angelo State, Mary Harden Baylor, Trinity. I, I think that there's players at those campuses that just wouldn't have been there five years ago. They would have been at Division One schools. Sac State out in California has benefited a lot from that. So it will be interesting to see as those COVID players get washed out and we're back to the normal amount of players competing for the normal amount of scholarships. Will it go back to what it was in 2017? Or is this just a new landscape where we just have no idea what it will look like and how it'll fall out and what the, because for me, everybody blames the transfer portal, but if 50 guys leave their programs, that's 50 guys, that's 50 spot. Like there's no, you're not losing right. scholarships. It's just a trade. Those scholarships got to go somewhere when those COVID players are gone. It just leads me to believe that these players that may be overlooked and maybe landing at UTEP, maybe landing at Sam Houston, start getting looks from the bigger schools again. As soon as we get comfortable and used to it, there'll be another rule change and we'll have to get used to that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One day they're going to do my rule change where they just take away the red shirt and give everybody five years of eligibility and just call it a day. Um, that That's the one that I've always uh, advocated for. Um, but anyway, yeah. Anything else we need to touch on before we get out of here? No, I mean, I just think top to bottom this year's, I mean, everyone really did a great job as far as it relates to 
the colleges in Texas with their recruiting classes, you know, sometimes you look and, and say they're clear losers. And I don't really feel like I can look at this year's crop and say there were clear cut losers. I think that there's a case to be made for every school that they trended up in recruiting, except for Texas A&M who had the number one class last year, but I definitely wouldn't like lose any sleep. If I'm an Aggies fan over slipping down from number one to 15 in the country, 15 is elite. Yeah, that's a great point. Out of the 13 FBS programs in the state, 11 of them signed better recruiting classes this year than they did last year. The only two that didn't, to your point, A&M, because they had to sign the top one, the top class their year before. And then Houston, who signed one that was just one spot lower. So pretty much right. the exact same class as before. So yeah, a, a really good recruiting cycle for the state. Everybody's trending upward. And that's good. I mean, as somebody who's pretty Texas-centric, it hurts me every single time I see one of these awesome players leave the state uh, it, you know, in our, for us, it would be perfect if like the top four colleges in the, in the nation were, you know, Texas programs, it's cool to see that high school, uh, talent stay around. Well, yeah. I mean, and you also want to travel to all these big college games, right? Like you need, <laughs> right. four, te- you need four teams to be in the yeah. national title picture all the time. So we can go to all and cover all the cool games. I'll be yeah. your picture guy. How's that? There you go. We're looking at you, Texas and Texas A&M. <laughs> uh, all right. For Greg Powers, for Mike Craven, for Dave Campbell's Texas Football, thank you for listening. Please rate, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Y'all listen to podcasts. You know where to find things. TexasFootball.com. We're not just a magazine. We have stuff up there every single day. Peace.